This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. I would say when, after, while watching Kyle's press, um, I, I think at that point, it, there was a shift in, in, in my thinking at that moment, a dramatical shift in my thinking as I drove home that night that, as Kyle expressed, he might not want to be our GM. And I have to take that very seriously. Oh, boy, that is Toronto Maple Leafs president Brendan Shanahan. As he just spoke to the media about the big news of the day, Kyle Dubas is out as general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Shanahan just spoke for, I would say, well over half an hour. Um, a really open timeline of events of what happened between the Toronto Maple Leafs, Brennan Shanahan, Kyle Dubas in the contract extension. Um, boy, I was not expecting that much insight. Um, I feel like a lot of people who watched that press conference are currently trying to dissect everything, trying to digest everything that just happened. There was a tremendous amount of transparency from Brendan Shanahan, um, a really firm timetable for things, how, how, for how things played out, excuse me, with Kyle Dubas. We don't always uh, get answers like that when decisions like this are made. Now, I do think it's important. We only have one side of the story. We don't know how Kyle Dubas is feeling. We don't know Kyle Dubas's version of events, but boy, we just got a really comprehensive look at how things went down from the Leafs and Brendan Shanahan's perspective. I know we played a lot of the press conference on the station uh, here on Sports at 960, so we're not going to play, you know, 20-minute clips. We're not going to play long ones here, but I I almost feel like the spark notes are are pretty difficult. So I think going through the timeline, I mean, Brendan Shanahan talked about approaching Kyle last offseason and told him that he was not going to be receiving a contract extension or an offer before the final year of his deal. Uh, the final year, of course, was this season. Um, after the trade deadline, Shanahan said that he felt Kyle made some very good moves. And after that, he told Dubas that he'd seen enough, um, that he believed that he wanted Dubas to be the GM going forward. If he's comfortable with that, we can start working something with your agent. Dubas eventually said, I'm comfortable with that. Uh, I just don't want it to be a distraction for me and the team. So Shanahan starts working on a contract extension with Kyle Dubas's agent. Um, you know, down the timeline, they present a deal to Kyle uh, after the agent talks. And then, you know, the Leafs lose in the second round of the playoffs, five games to Florida. Um Shanahan kind of suggested to Kyle, let's not do media availabilities until after we get this done. Kyle wanted to speak to the media. Shanahan respected that request. Uh, but then, of course, we know that Kyle went into the press conference and spoke about, um, you know, quite vulnerably and quite candidly about how he was feeling and, you know, mentally what goes into being the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Can he continue to do that? And Shanahan said that he had to take that seriously, as we just heard in the clip. And that presented a shift in Shanahan's thinking about Kyle Dubas might not want to be the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, you know, they kind of get to the point where Dubas ends up emailing Brendan Shanahan. I want to be the general manager. Uh, they talk about it a bit more. Um, 
And then a new financial package gets presented to Brendan Shanahan. So a counter offer for the contract. And Kyle Dubas is fired by the Leafs. That was announced this morning. So, of course, the news, yes, is that they announced that the club decided to part ways with Kyle Dubas. His contract is set to expire on June 30th, and he will not return. There is a ton to unpack here, um, just about the press conference from Brennan Shanahan. What comes next for the Maple Leafs? Who's going to take over that job? Was this the right decision? What comes next for Austin Matthews? What about Sheldon Keefe? And oh, I buried the lead, by the way. There was a hockey game last night that went seven periods. We can talk about that a little bit as well, because that was a big one. But we are going to stick with the Toronto Maple Leafs conversation as we come out of that Brendan Shanahan press conference. Uh, and our first guest of the day is Jason Bukula. He's a former NHL scout, down analyst for Sportsnet. He had a story come out just yesterday uh, looking at what the Maple Leafs might be considering this offseason. Well, there might be a big shift in some of those things considering we don't know who's going to be in charge of those decisions at this time. Shanahan did say actually that he's going to lean on assistant general manager uh, Brennan Pridham in the meantime while they start the search for a new general manager. Oh, but boy, there's a lot to dig into as Jason joins us now on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. Jason, how we doing? What's going on? Crazy Friday leading into uh, you know, your first kind of fun long weekend of the summer. Just a, just a normal Friday. Wasn't expecting this today. So much for a mail-it-in Friday, huh? Yeah, so much for a mail-it-in. It's been like... Uh, stuck to your computer, answering emails, uh, going on radio, doing all this kind of stuff. So it's uh, it's been an interesting day. It's uh, There's no question about that. Was there something in particular, sorry to put you on the spot with this one, because there was so much here, but was there something in particular that really stood out to you from that media availability that we all just kind of listened to? So I went back and played it back. I, to me, what, what stands out the most is how – um, do you go from, I don't know, there's just, there, there has to be so much more to the story. How we yeah. go from, you know, the whole um, uh, family angle, which is completely understandable. I get it 100%. Trust me, I've, uh, I've been, even on my job as a director, I've been on the road for as many as 175 nights in a year. So it's hard on a lot of people. Um, and I can only imagine for the general manager. But how do you go from that? to having an offer in the drawer, to sitting on the offer, to countering the offer. Jeez, uh, like, uh, it just seems to me like somebody was misled here somewhere along the line. And um, um, the, I don't know if you watched the session at all. Like the, the, uh, the <laughs> I don't, but I've heard that. I've heard, I saw on Twitter, it was like, this is giving succession. It does. It's like giving me vibes. It's like it's, I'm like watching this unfold in real time right in front of me. So all joking aside, it's uh, this is a major thing. It's a it's a major thing for the franchise. And um, I just don't understand. I, I'm, I, I don't know how to put it to any differently. I'm, I'm puzzled. I'm really puzzled. Yeah, it's interesting how, you know, I think uh, Sean McIndoe down goes Brown from The Athletic. You know, he typically has a, he's got a way with words that one. And I think the way that he put it, he was like, so the Leafs decided they wanted Dubas back. Dubas eventually decided he wanted to come back. And now he's not back. <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah. What happened? And, and it, sound, it sounds like the... Uh... It sounds like, you know, like any in, in any other, well, any negotiation, especially in the National Hockey League. I mean, 
you know, there's a there's an offer, there's a counter offer, but wouldn't you have already walked that plank before last night? Like, it feels to me like Shanahan felt like everything that they had discussed, and it sounded like there was an exchange of emails um, saying, "I'm I'm looking forward to coming back," or "I am coming back." I don't want to. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, obviously, but um, you know, it sounds to me like he, you know. It sounds to me like, like he thought he had an offer that was acceptable, and then the counter offer kind of put him over the edge a little bit too, saying like, "When is this going to end?" Almost. And uh, to be fair to everybody involved, you got to get going here. There's a lot of work to do. Of course, and I think it's an oversimplification to suggest that this was just about Brendan Shanahan not liking the vulnerability that Duba showed in the exit meeting availability, but it's also probably not totally accurate to say this was just about money and the offers and the counter offers. And I think you're right to say that there's probably a little bit more to the story. We've only got one side at this point. It was a comprehensive look at the timeline, but there's something it was a, uh, yeah, it's puzzling. I feel like we're all sitting here trying to, to figure out everything that just happened here. Absolutely. I just, uh, I feel like it's uncomfortable for all, all parties involved to having it play out the way it is now. And, and my my uh, entry level take is that uh, Kyle's uh, press conference at the beginning of the week uh, that he decided that he wanted to um, he he wanted to get out in front of everything you know that's how he positioned it um, i.e. his uh, decision making with uh, roster management uh, players he wanted everybody to understand that this is my this is my baby I you know the buck stops with me and and I'm the general manager but at the same time you know obviously explained wasn't sure if he wanted to come back and. And right then and there, you can just see behind the uh, scenes, ownership and Shanahan, like, thinking, like, what is happening here? All of a sudden, this isn't what, even if they had that discussion in private, and I'm sure they did, um, you know, for it to come out in a public uh, forum the way that it did. um, Mm -hmm. I don't know, Haley, like, I've been around the game for, this is like my 20th draft. And I, you know, every time I think I've seen pretty much everything that can happen, um, in, in this day and age with social media and all kinds of different things and uh, and a new breed of uh, younger managers coming through, younger coaches coming through, um, I guess I've got to adapt a little bit more because uh, this, this is catching me off guard, I have to be honest. Yeah, I think part of the conversation about this too is whether or not this was the right decision for the hockey operation side of things. Because as you mentioned, there's a lot of work to be done and I think – you know, the, the question is, was was Kyle Dubas the right guy to be doing this work? And, you know, I know that the Leafs have not had the kind of success when it matters the most. We're talking about the playoffs. But I'm curious, was what went wrong in Toronto a roster construction issue, a lack of execution? Is that on the coach, the players, maybe a mix of all three? I, I guess I'm just curious is the next general manager going to be the upgrade and the guy who's going to fix the fix the group and put them on track to, to actually win? That's a great question. I mean, so immediately after I, I, I heard the news today, I, you know, after I, you know, had another cup of coffee and then took a deep breath, I just immediately put my hockey operations hat on and said, okay, well, there's work to be done here. So let's get after it. And um, thank you for mentioning that I put together like this deep dive into the entire organization and it went online yesterday. Um, here's the reality of it. Um, uh, just from the NHL perspective alone, uh, you've got a ton of work to do with all the UFAs. And of course, uh, the, you know, Samsonov is due a uh, qualifying offer and a raise. Uh, they don't have a lot of draft capital. They don't have a lot of what I would classify as um, 
uh, homegrown talent that is attractive for all organizations in the league. They have some guys that would be attractive to certain types of general managers in terms of how they like to build their teams. But the Toronto Maple Leafs have been all in in on drafting and developing certain types of players for a number of years now. So that same kind of a player, you know, Topi Nimila, right shot, uh, six foot, 180 pound at his max defenseman. He's, you know, he's not physical. And a lot of their, a lot of their, Matthew Nyes has been an outlier for them. So I'm throwing a whole bunch of things at you right now. I'm throwing a lot of things into the blender. And the reason I'm doing that is because the next general manager who comes in in short order has got to make a lot of decisions. And that is why I'm suggesting right away that it's going to have to be someone who's already had his boots on the ground this year, i.e., you know, uh, Brad Trey Living, for example. Um, and I'm not just mm-hmm. throwing him out there to start a rumor. I'm just using him as an example, okay? Like somebody sure. who's got in- intimate knowledge of what's going on with player personnel across the league, um, intimate uh, relationships with uh, agents across the, the uh, complete world landscape, because um, a lot of uh, European uh, players have a representation in both Europe and North America, as you know. And then, of course, uh, familiarity with the draft class, what's going on. And then the ability to manage a draft board when you don't have a lot of draft capital. All of those things just just smells to me like somebody with experience has got to come in and get this done and write this, not write the ship, but get it organized in short order. To answer your question, I know this is long-winded. That's not going to no, be able to right. happen. That that's not going to the next GM. That's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to judge their body of work based on what happens in the next um, six weeks. Like that's an impossibility because of the hand they've been dealt. So it's going to take some time beyond that. But I think they need an experienced captain to guide the ship uh, over the next little uh, while. Um, and I guess they got to get after that pretty quick. This was the big question that I had after when I saw the news this morning is, okay, so who's the next guy? Are they an upgrade on Kyle? Are they available? Do they have the experience? Because as you mentioned in in the great answer, please don't apologize for being long-winded because it's it's good stuff, Jason. Um, They've got 10 unrestricted free agents this offseason. Austin Matthews is one year away from being an unrestricted free agent. So is William Nylander. Uh, as you mentioned with Samsonov, he's a restricted free agent. There is a lot of work to be done, <laughs> and there's not a ton of time. Sure, you've got the whole summer, and yeah, we're only in the third round of the playoffs, but the draft is coming up quickly. Um, free agency is coming up quickly. There's a tight cap situation, and Brendan Shanahan already said today in that press conference, having somebody with experience would be an attractive quality. Um, so it gives the Leafs a shorter timeline to to work with, but it also kind of eliminates some of these young up-and-coming candidates that we've been talking about in different markets, right? That kind of slashes the possibility of promoting Brandon Pridham. It slashes the opportunity of looking at an Eric Tolsky, right? It, it limits their their pool of candidates, and I feel like that might not be a great thing. Yeah, it's it's it, you're accurate. I mean, if you look at, uh, at at you know the Carolina Hurricanes, they they're contending for a Stanley Cup. So are, are they going to allow Eric Tolsky to you know jump out of the Stanley Cup playoffs and into the uh, Toronto Maple Leaf uh, swimming pool right now? Absolutely not. They value him too much right now for whatever they've got going on plan wise, right? So um, that for me eliminates that name uh, immediately. I'd be shocked, uh, you know, if anything came of that. Um, the other thing that uh, I want to say here, too, is that I don't necessarily believe that the core four, if you want to call them that, I call it five because I believe that 
that Morgan Riley is the uh, de facto captain there. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, that core group, two of them are going to be, they, they've got no trades that kick in on July 1st. So if you want to start trading up the, or it's, uh, switching up the core, uh, which I believe is a necessity right now, that's my take. Um, mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Like, you better get on this job like, like yesterday, because that's, those calls have already, this week when Kyle was in the office, trust me when I tell you this, it's already out there amongst every every GM in the league in this drawer right now has it on notice that the the Maple Leafs are taking calls on on basically anything. He they already have that. So the next guy walking in, he's going to have to double down on whatever his thought is. And for me personally, I'd be shocked if one of those core pieces isn't moved out. And you got to be leaning towards a guy that doesn't have a, a trade clause in his contract. So, wow, what a what a messy situation. Like, holy jump. Wow. Wow. Crazy. <laughs> and you did a, a really great job kind of, uh, you know, dissecting. I almost said kind of there. And we have somebody on the text line who hates when I say that. So I stopped myself. Sorry. <laughs> we, you did a really nice job of breaking down the way that things will go at the end of a season, whether it's the GM. Uh, in this case, there isn't one, but a team will divide their roster into categories right it's the core pieces that you retain the core pieces that you trade or entertain offers on secondary pieces retain secondary pieces you trade or entertain the same with depth the rfas the ufas the goaltending you did a really great job breaking that down so i want to start because you mentioned that the leafs are going to be taking calls it's out there so when you're looking at the core five we're talking about mitch marner austin matthews william nylander john tavares and morgan riley which pieces of that core do you think the Leafs should be either trading or at the very least entertaining offers on? I've only got two core pieces retained on the Leafs roster and that's uh, Matthews and Riley. Beyond that I get into the uh, the Marner and uh, Nylander discussion immediately as uh, uh, you know core pieces entertain offers. Um, Tavares that contract uh, as, as great a pro as he's been um, you know, this isn't going to age well, Haley, especially playing in the middle of the ice. So the next coach that comes in is going to want to move him to the wing, and he's going to have to be accepting of that. Bottom line is, oh, he's got a full no move, so uh, the contract isn't going anywhere. I'd be shocked, and he doesn't want to leave anyway, so that's a non-starter. Um, and then, you know, we start getting into, well, you know, the, the, the it goes beyond that. You know, Matthew Nyes was on the fringe of, believe it or not, already, he was on the fringe of my uh, of my core retained because, um, you know, I think that's how much value he has going forward. Uh, but right now he's a secondary piece retained only because of the fact he's had a limited runway. Um, I've got Nylander and Marner as the targets on, uh, on guys that I'm entertaining offers on. Uh, I'm keeping Riley. I'm keeping Matthews. I'm extending Matthews as soon as possible come July. And I want to I want to double down on something here that I know there's some noise out there in the in the hockey community. Um, I have not in my lifetime, even though some players really like general managers, they love them, you know, they like them as people, etc. I have never in my lifetime seen a player who says I'm not going to sign a 12.5 million dollar year extension to play in the National <laughs> Hockey League because the general manager who I really have a ton of respect for is no longer with the organization. So anybody who's worried about Matthews because Dubas is no longer going to be involved in the organization, don't worry about it. That's not going to happen. It's it's, it's going to be okay from that perspective alone. 
how much it's curious because you have only two of those core five pieces as guys that they should absolutely be retaining. Obviously, moving guys like John Tavares is going to be difficult because the contracts, the no move because of the production and how that deal is going to age and how he's going to age as a player. I'm curious as we circle back to the Dubas conversation and him being fired and how much of him not being around goes back to the performance that he had as general manager. Like how much should a GM wear the blame for a core that is locked into these kind of deals that are tough to move and a core that you probably want to move three of the five pieces on? Well, I can tell you for certain that every one of those contracts and uh, every step of the way, this plan that they had to sign the core that the way they did and eat up over 40% of their salary cap uh, on a group of players, all of that was approved by not only Brendan Shanahan, but also ownership. There's no question in my mind. I haven't, uh, when I was in Nashville and when I was in Florida, I have not seen a situation, especially with long-term big money contracts and certainly planning out um, you know, our trajectory as a group how it doesn't go up the chain of command for approval. Now, having said that, um, certainly, you know, there's an expectation when, when you approve those types of scenarios as well. So I'll, I'll double down and say something like this. Like when Mitch Marner signs his extension and he walks in, to me, that was too much money too soon for Mitch Marner. That's how I personally feel about it. I work for a guy at Dale Town in Florida who always said to me, some of these young guys in today's league, too much too soon. So, like, what are they going to be motivated at? Or where's their motivation to go to another level, salary-wise or team-wise, you know, like team structure-wise? And, and I agree with that. In Marner's situation, if you're, going to, if you're going to have the Kahulis to walk into an owner's office and say, you're not doing it, your agent is, and say, listen, I'm one of the top players in the league. I'm worth $11 million a year. Is it not fair for that owner at that point in time to say, you know what, I agree with you, but in return, I expect, premium results at the hardest time of year and at this at this 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 past week and it really didn't sit with me and i want to get it off my chest Marty gets <laughs> out in front of it and says we've been dealing with distraction this year and we've been dealing with um you know um uh, I, he's he's angry at the media for a lot of the yeah. media noise and all this stuff we don't listen Haley, to you guys yeah come on like Haley, yeah. you and i both have friends who want to go watch calgary flames games with their kids okay I want to bring my wife, my two boys to a Calgary Flames game. Uh, the combined salary of, our, of our, our household is X, and I'm blowing $1,000 to go watch these guys play games. Does anybody care that an $11 million athlete is having some distractions in a tough time? Come on. Yeah. If I'm the owner of these franchises, win at the hardest time of year. Be your mm-hmm. best when things get tough. And, uh, and that's where I lay some of the blame at the feet of some of these people. And you know, I think that it uh, it got a little bit easy for them. And then when it got hard, they didn't know how to deal with hard. They didn't have enough bad days before the team got really good. And so on the bad days, they didn't know how to go over the top yet. It still might happen. But my belief is you're going to have to trade out a couple of these uh, core pieces to, uh, to bring some new blood in and a new attitude. The thing with the Barner piece that was so interesting is you see him getting kind of fired up. You see him getting angry about it. Why don't you bring some of that heat on the ice? Where's the, where's the passion when it matters? Not in the press conference, not getting angry at media people who are saying, hey, maybe Mitch Marner needs to play better. Don't get mad at the media. Just go and play better. Just go play better. And the, better. Thing, with the, Mar- <laughs> and the thing with the Marner contract that has always interested me 
is the fact that I think people used Patrick Kane as a contract comparable for him. Correct. People looked at the AAV. They looked at the deal. They looked at the style of play, whatever it may be. Patrick Kane, by the time he got that contract, had already had the ultimate success. He'd won an Art Ross. He'd won a Ted Lindsay. He'd won a Hart Trophy. And he'd won a Conn Smythe. I can't Not say comparable. any better. <laughs> I can't say it any better. I mean, that's the reality of it. You know, like, and it's going to be the same on Matthews next deal. I'm going to, and I would say if you and I are in a war room and we're talking about any roster in the league, I'm going to say that to anybody. Like, like uh, Nathan McKinnon is making 12-6, right? And if Austin Matthews walks in, and I think he's a fabulous player, don't get me wrong, and he's part of the core retain on my roster build here, but he can't come into my office and say, I want to make 13. And Nathan McKinnon's making 12-6, and our team's gone through one round of playoffs. Like, where have we lost our way in a results-oriented type of business that is the National Hockey League? you got to win games at the hardest time of year. End of story. I don't care. That's just the way it's got to be. And, and people got to wrap their minds around that. And, and um, not people, players, certain players have to wrap their minds around that. And mm-hmm. uh, nothing should be given anymore. It's got to be earned. And, you know, I don't know. Sidney Crosby's been taking less money than some of the players, uh, some of the other guys on his roster for several years. And, and they won Stanley Cups. Um, so, like, why isn't he the poster child for – for how to build a team at the National Hockey League level, and one is enough enough. Yep. One of the other pieces in your story, Jason, we have a few more moments with you here, is who are some of the priority unrestricted free agents that the team should be trying to re-sign this summer? Well, I really liked a couple of the additions. I I thought that uh, Noel Achari, um, trustworthy, you knew exactly what you are going to get. He can play all three, four positions, um, you know, hits everything in sight. I thought that was a really nice add at the, uh, the bottom six. He can he can slide into the three hole when required, but I think he's a real on a good team. I think he's a real solid ten to thirteen minute guy in the in the four hole. So let's call him a three and a half, Haley, for argument's sake. Um, and he, you know, the physicality and the identity and the compete. Good good add. I, I extend him for sure. Luke Shen, I thought the wheels have fallen off this uh, a couple of years ago. He's found youth somewhere along the line. I don't know how they can't want to sign Shen back. It's going to be a short-term deal. Again, character, physicality, arguably besides Riley, um, you know, <laughs> he might have been their second-best playoff performer. I mean, honestly, he could have. Like, we can make an argument for that probably, right? So um, I bring him back. Um Ryan O'Reilly, my gut tells me that's going to be too expensive. Would I bring him back? I would. Uh, it would come down to term and, and dollars and the fact that, again, uh, he's never been fast in the league. So th- when I read that people are worried about his speed, Ryan O'Reilly's never been a fast player. Uh, but he's a real crafty, smart, so he's another guy. And that's it. That's basically where it ends. Like <laughs> after that, after that, I get into letting everybody go. Uh, you know, Kerfoot, Camp, Bunting, Simmons, Aston Reese, Justin Hall, Gustafson, um, and we got to open up some money for Samsonov, uh, RFA, who's getting a raise because he's got Arbrights. So he's going to be going. He's at one eight for his uh, his uh, uh, his qualifier. But uh, my my comparable for him is Gorgiev in, in Colorado at three four. And I think he'll probably get somewhere around. Is it difficult for you to be watching Freddie Anderson play the way, maybe not difficult for you personally, I'm thinking when you're looking professionally at the Toronto Maple Leafs and the situation that they're in. 
Is it difficult to see Freddie Anderson making $4.5 million and doing what he's doing in Carolina? It's difficult for me uh, to wrap. So I'm, I'm conflicted. Um, I wasn't sure that Freddie can get it done with the structure, the way that Toronto plays in front of Freddie. I think that in Carolina, in terms of him playing to his best ability, um, he's better served there. At 4-5, I love the number. I have to be honest. Bringing in Matt Murray was mm-hmm. – um, I, I didn't agree with it from the beginning. He's a fragile body, as we all know, and to, to spend the money on, on Murray – uh, was um, was a reach. I would have, I'd much rather have Freddie sticking around in the net than uh, than having to go through what we had to go through on Murray. And hey, and and I know you're running short on time, but um, okay. th- organizationally, these are the things that I have to look at when I'm building a roster. Matt Murray is due eight million dollars in real money this year on his deal. The way that it was structured in in Ottawa. Just let that mm-hmm. sink in for like even two seconds. Eight million dollars. So. His cap, his cap's at six two. He's due eight, um, but I have him getting bought out. And then for Ottawa, there's going to be a cap recapture for Ottawa over two years of almost a million dollars in in real money too. So, yeah, Freddie Anderson would have looked better. Um, but uh, was I 100% confident in Freddie? Not necessarily. The Kane system and style of play and, and Rod Brindamore factor into it all as well certainly helps the goalies perform the way that they do because the Canes do such a great job limiting not just chances but high danger chances. They don't make a ton of mistakes in front of their goalies. So that plays a role into it as well. And we know that the Leafs aren't that structured and that disciplined as Carolina. But, yeah, looking at Matt Murray's deal and looking at a potential buyout and the, the penalties that could be involved there financially, it's – it's not great. It's easy to sit here after the fact and, and have that discussion, but that kind of goes into some of the decisions that the, the front office made in the accountability. I know Kyle wasn't necessarily let go because of his performance, but I do wonder if that should have been a bit more of a conversation. I think that, you know, it's easy to throw rocks at glass houses, especially after the fact. We all make mistakes in this business. You can have mm-hmm. the biggest sports science, analytics, uh, scouting staffs. So you can have it all. But when you're dealing with – we're talking about human beings playing a, a high a high leverage sport at a high high rate of speed, and, and mm-hmm. things happen. And, you know, uh, I'm not going to say there's, – there's not – there's not a single general manager in the league, Stanley Cup winners included, who haven't made glaring mistakes over the years. Um, Matt Murray's is, uh, I just don't like the look of the Matt Murray one, and I wouldn't have done it from the beginning. <laughs> well, thank you so much for all the insight, Jason. I always appreciate having you on the show. And We had some people in the text line say, who is this? I really like him. It's Jason Bukla, former NHL scout, current analyst with Sportsnet. So we, we all appreciated your insight, Jason. I appreciate it too, Haley. Listen, have a great long weekend. Good start to the summer for you. Yes, you as well. Thanks again. Okay. And there goes uh, Jason Bukla, as you heard, former NHL scout, current analyst with Sportsnet. You can catch his stuff on Sportsnet.ca. You can check him out, radio, TV as well. And that conversation with Jason is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast, takeout or delivery at 403 248 3344. We got a note in the text line as well that I thought was interesting in, in terms of the Mitch Marner conversation. And it said, it's easy for immediate people to say, 
just go and play better. I understand that. And I understand how that looks and sounds to be sitting on my couch and saying, well, Mitch Marner, you need to, you need to do better. Uh, I think it just is more about when some of the more fiery comments you get in the media is directed to the media. Well, where's the, where's the passion and the fire on the ice? And that was particularly at a time in the series where Marner was struggling on the defensive side of the puck, maybe struggling offensively, not making as much of an impact in the game. So I appreciate the conversation, though, in the text line. The text line is open, 960-960, if you want to join in the conversation. Pat Steinberg is going to join us in the second segment of the show here. So if you have any questions for Pat as it relates to the GM search, the coach search, what comes next for the Flames, even the Wranglers, let us know while we're in our commercial break and we can throw some of those at Pat. I think the final note on the, the Dubas conversation, I thought, you know, Dubas evolved and improved as a GM over his tenure with the team. I thought, as Jason was talking about, it's there's no general manager in this league that has a perfect track record. There are bad moves that are made. Uh, there's good moves that are made, and I think Kyle's resume over those few years would show that. I think you know the Jared Mc, the trade for Jared McCann just to lose Jared McCann to protect guys like Justin Hall and Alexander Kerfoot didn't love that. I think losing a first round pick for Nick Foligno. I mean the Peter Mrazek deal. They ended up having to spend a first round pick to get out from under that deal. They've lost a lot of first round picks, and for what? Not a lot of playoff success. Not a lot of success when it matters. Um, but there were some good deals as well. The O'Reilly trade was nice. I liked the Luke Shen deal this year. Finding Michael Bunting in the bargain bin is a is a good check for Kyle Dubas. That was a good move. Um, but ultimately, they didn't have any success. And ultimately, it doesn't look like any of that really played a role in his departure from the organization. Um, that's a bit more complicated, as we heard from the Brendan Shanahan press conference today. So we're going to head to a quick break, as I mentioned. When we come back, we are going to be joined by Pat Steinberg, host of Flames Talk. That's coming up next on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, welcome back to the show. Had a nice chat with Jason Bukala. Diving into the Brendan Shanahan press conference, the Kyle Dubas news, what comes next to the Leafs. A lot going on there. Lovely start to our long weekend. This is not a mail-it-in Friday. This is why I have Pat Steinberg on on Fridays, because I don't have to do anything. And that's not what happened today. Pat Steinberg joins us now. It's time for the weekly Pat Chat. He's on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline. Busier day than I thought it was going to be, Pat. What's up? How uh, how's that for an off season? Hey, two GMs Woo! who wanted to be back, and the teams wanted them back, and here we are. Both of them are free agents. Tree, and now Dubis, and kind of not exactly the same situation. Very similar. Teams wanted the GM back. GM wanted to come back, but you know the tree situation. I think that. Uh, definitely was influenced by the Daryl situation. But also, I think the contract that was on the table was not exactly where Tree wanted it to be. And here we are with Dubis and Shanahan, and kind of similar in that respect, especially when we learned that uh, Dubis and his representatives came back with uh, 
a new financial package. The whole thing's fascinating that, you know, two very high-profile, mm-hmm. well-thought-of GMs who didn't necessarily have the playoff success they wanted are both now free agents in the same summer. It's, it's actually quite fascinating. And one of those free agents might just be the best candidate for the other opening, but might not be allowed to interview for it until June 30th. Yet that doesn't really work with the timeline of the team with the opening, you know, given the, they the have thing that I would, deadlines and such. Would, <laughs> the only thing I would say about that when it comes to Tree and, and maybe maybe you're maybe not being allowed to interview is that I do wonder with that becoming public recently, if maybe that could change or has changed, I don't know. I just wonder if they're, you know, public pressure. I wonder if maybe uh, at some point the Flames would be like, okay, you know what, uh, enough's enough and you can go interview. I have no idea, but that's something that I, I've wondered about for the last couple of weeks ever since, uh, or last week or so, I guess, ever since uh, Frank S. put that out there. And then number two, in Toronto's case, I don't know if if they think Tree's their guy, and it's not like it's not like they've got a ton of picks coming up in the next draft. Now I know I do know they've got their first, and so you know there's there's definitely some work to do there. But they've got what Boston's first, and they don't pick again until the fifth. And then they've got three picks this year, so it's it's not like it's not like there's a lot of draft intel that they'd even need from the former Flames GM. So it seems it seems a little bit more, even if the Flames weren't to give permission, it seems a little bit more realistic that even though a contract doesn't expire until June thirtieth, that they could send a little wink wink nudge nudge we'd like you to come here and and then go from there i I don't know it's just me thinking out loud but i think you'd be a great fit in toronto that's for sure yeah especially they want somebody who's going to have the experience and as we went through with jason we don't need to get into this again but there's a lot to a lot to be done in toronto that's going to require somebody who's been there done that has the rolodex etc and brad true living is one of those guys whether you like every move that he made in calgary whether you thought he did a bad job they need somebody with experience and no gm's perfect so that's kind of the leafs handcuffed themselves in that sense they 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 cut out a lot of the candidate pool by doing it in this timeline and some of it's out of their control because all the complications with dubis but anyways flames still need a gm flames still need a coach they do what's new what do you got i think they're close i think they're very close on GM, like uh, I think that this week they have, uh, as, as we talked a little bit about on yesterday's Flames talk, um, I, I think that they, uh, I think they've really whittled it down in the last week. So this or, or this week. So last week was kind of the intense. Everybody's interviewing, and they put out quite the wide net, and you know, in the in the range of like 25, 30, 35 people that they spoke to last week most of them um by correspondence like video conferencing zoom teams whatever uh and then they went from there and i think everybody that has kind of made their shortlist has either been flown in or the internal guys and i believe both conroy and pascal are are on the shortlist um i think everybody's interviewed or will be interviewing shortly on that second interview so uh yeah i think they're close um and I don't think it'll be this weekend, but I think, you know, there's been a number of, yeah, next week seems reasonable. <laughs> and just just where I understand everything is and, and how close I think this is being done, yeah, I would expect sometime early next week we get a, we get a, 
an answer, we get an announcement, we get a news conference, we get an introduction. So, yeah, I think they're close. I think they, if they haven't decided, I think they're darn close to making their final decision on GM. But we'll see. They should drop the news tonight at 6 p.m., 7 p.m., whenever your show ends, uh, heading into the long weekend. <laughs> You know, they did drop the Kachuk bomb on us on a Friday uh-huh. night when I was already into it. So, uh, you know, it wouldn't, uh, <laughs> you we, the ship done, already? with it before. <laughs> no, I was just uh, at my place, had a few people over. Uh, wow. I wasn't invited to that. You were in Ontario. That's right. Yeah, that happened at around 1 a.m., 12 a.m. I decided to watch trash TV and, you know, probably keeping up with the Kardashians or something stupid and then. Had to start working. That's right. That was fun. Was, Let's yeah, not do that again. Like a, it was like 11 p.m. Uh, on a Friday or something like that. It was fun, and then we got uh, then we got the news, and we got to talk to Tree on uh, the following Saturday. And the summer of Brad ended up being the final summer of Brad. Mm-hmm. Nice turn of phrase there. Um, you said this on your show on Flames Talk, Pat. Regardless of who the GM will be, you think that Mitch Love is going to be a strong candidate for the next head coach of the Calgary Flames. There was also a report from Kevin Weeks that yeah. Mitch Love is getting plenty of NHL interest, whether that's just in Calgary, outside of Calgary. I think he's somebody that's in the mix. Uh, what do you make of Mitch Love, and why do you think he could be the right guy to be the next head coach of the Calgary Flames? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that at, at this point, with all that Mitch has accomplished going into, you know, whether they whether the Wranglers win tonight in their decisive game five with Coachella Valley or not, you know, what what else can Mitch Love do in the American League? Now, I know it's only two years into a professional coaching career. I fully understand that. And there's inexperience and all that type of stuff. But I mean, the guy's a two-time AHL coach of the year, and he's been in the American League for two years. And his team has been one of the best teams in the American League both years. They got to a Final Four last year. They're on the verge of getting back to the Final Four this year. And I think the American League is, I think, you know, deep playoff runs are a less accurate barometer of coaching jobs in the American League than they are in the NHL just because of how fluid rosters are in the AHL and, and how different teams go about their businesses, all that type of stuff. Uh, so, you know, he has been extremely successful at the AHL level, and he's a rising star. There is no doubt about it. Somebody on the text line either yesterday or the day before kind of asked the question, like, is Mitch Love the best prospect in the organization with Dustin Wolf? And you're like, yeah, I don't know how you can argue that because his star is rising. He is or has turned into a commodity, not just internally, but around the league. And so if you're the Flames, whether Craig Conroy gets hired as the general manager, whether it's somebody from the outside, whether it's Brad Pascal, whoever the case may be, I I just think if you're Don Maloney and you're the head of hockey ops, you see what Mitch Love has done. You have a good idea what Mitch Love is all about. And you also know that teams like Anaheim and other other organizations are sniffing around and have interest in him. I, I just think at the very least, giving him an extremely legit long look, you'd be doing yourself a disservice. And if he's so well thought of around the league and you think he is knocking on the door, you might as well take the risk. So, yeah, I think whoever the GM is going to be will have the full autonomy to make his his or her coaching hire. But I think that the organization will say and should say, hey, 
we want you to have Mitch Love as a legitimate candidate and give this guy a long look. Decision's still yours, but we really like this internal candidate to be very, very heavily considered and go from there. So I, I think it's fair. I think it's, I think it's good management. I think it's uh, good organizational progression. And hey, you know, I've, I've spoken to Mitch on a weekly basis on Flamestock for the last two seasons. I've spent a good chunk of time watching practice or being around the guy. I, I think. I think he's a damn good coach, and I know there's not a lot of NHL or zero NHL experience there at this point, but, you know, he's got guys who should be, might be on the team next year that are quite familiar with him, and I think he's the type of communicator, I really do, that has the ability to, yes, he's a hard coach, and yes, he's demanding all those types of things, but I think he's got the ability to tailor the message to each guy uh, and get through to different guys, even if they're 30-year-old 30, 30 veterans who are making seven or ten and a half million or whatever whatever the case may be. I, I've, I've really, over the last 48 hours, 72 hours or so, Wes has helped me come to this conclusion. The text line has really convinced me. <laughs> I, I don't – like, what do you got to lose? What do you, You've got a rising star in your organization – who is sought after by other teams. As Wes has said a couple of times, you would hate to be coaching against this guy who's turned into or playing against a, a guy who's turned into uh, a real quality NHL head coach when you had him in your organization and you discovered him as a professional head coach. So, you know, I think unless there are things that we're missing, I think at the very least a legit long look and him being a finalist for head coach needs to be part of this conversation. The text lines convince me that I'm an idiot. Oh, why? Uh, just just in general, or <laughs> yeah. or over one? Oh, yeah, wow. they convince you that Mitch Love should be the next head coach. I'm convinced that I'm stupid. That was a joke. I'm sorry. You know a lot of them are actually nice very nice. Be, be nice to Haley. There's, you know, no, what? it took it's a, fine. Took a long time. Took a long time for me to not let the text. Line, I have thick skin. Um, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Tell me about the Wranglers. Uh, Dustin Wolf pitched a 27-save shutout. Wranglers won uh, Wednesday's game, won nothing against Coachella Valley. Now it's a best-of-five, must-win game five tonight in the desert. What do you think? How are we feeling about the Wranglers tonight? I think they've got it in them. Uh, I really like the way that they responded in game four with their season on the line for the first time this season. Um, I like they they played a really strong brand of hockey in front of Wolf. He pitched a shutout with his team season on the line. We shouldn't be surprised. It's just the type of guy that he is. Uh, that guy lives for big moments, and so he stepped up in a big moment. I just think all things considered, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to win, but I, I, I think you can be confident that they are going to be able to advance here because this is a, a very, very close matchup, and, and Coachella Valley's a hell of a team and all that type of stuff. But this Wranglers team was number one in the American League for a reason, and they've got the coach of the year. They've got the goaltender of the year. And, yeah, I, I just I, – there's plenty of reason to be confident that they can get it done. And I think the number one reason is the way that they have responded in big spots all year long. And number two, 
the way that they responded on Wednesday night. Uh, Even even in this series, they lay an egg in game one on home ice, and less than 24 hours, they bounce back with a really solid game two victory. They lose in triple OT in game three in a game where they had a 2-0 lead and a lead going into the third period. They lose it in triple OT. They bounce back with a really gritty road victory shutout win uh, one, you know, less than 48 hours after that. And so the way that this team responds and their resilience has been one of the calling cards for Mitch Love's squad all year long. So just that in of itself, I think you should have some confidence they'll be able to get it done tonight. And so I hope they do. It would be a great story for the city. Um, and it would be awesome to see the Dome back for a best of seven in the Western Conference Finals. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping they can get it done. I'm with you. I think the goalie battle's been really fun. I covered Joey Decord when he was a Ottawa Senators prospect, when he Joey played okay. for Belleville. Yeah, Joey okay, if you are French. And I thought it was fun to watch him have the 60-save performance in the Triple OT game and then have Dustin Wolf come right back with the shutout. So tonight should be a good one. I feel like... I feel like this might be a low-scoring affair, but what do I know? Thanks for doing this, Pat. I hope you have a nice long weekend. Bye, friend. Bye. There goes Steinberg, host of Flames Talk on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You can hear him a little bit later on the station, and that's all the time we have today for Hockey Central 960. That's it. That's all we got for the week. We'll be back next Tuesday. We can uh, Hopefully there will be more 4 OT games between the – Carolina Hurricanes and Florida Panthers that we can dive into because we didn't have time to do that today. Lots going on with the Leafs. Got to talk about the Flames with Pat every week. I actually don't hope there's going to be another 4 OT. That was exhausting. And I just sat on my couch and watched it. But thanks, everyone, for listening to Hockey Central 960 today. And this week we will be back next Tuesday here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.